today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. There should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't and you need a Bible, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Is there anybody here who needs one? Everybody good? Anybody need one? Raise your hand. Oh, another one up here, Scott. Scott's a little slow today. He's getting old. Oh, see, he's even sending Jerry, young man. He's sending the young buck there. But he can only carry one Bible at a time, so. <laughs> All right, we're good. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 4, I'll be reading just, we're going through two verses today. I want to overdo it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, once again, we just lift up this time in your word that you would bless us, Father, that you would speak to us, that, Lord, we would realize the power of your word to change lives and to maintain lives, to keep lives, to protect lives, and to draw lives unto yourself. And so, Father, I pray as we're all different places in our walks that you would meet us where we are at this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So what do you think? What do you think? What do you think about all that's going on in the world today? There's the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter of encouragement as he's in a dungeon chained to a Roman guard. His life, well, it's going to be taken from him not too, well, not too long from the penning of this letter. Well, what do we think about all that's going on today? Well, these things, they can be things that we are chained to. They can be upon our minds and they can take our thoughts captive. All that's going on seems to be a series of plane crashes as of late. And, well, very catastrophic. And, you know, for somebody to shoot down a civilian plane out of there, just to, and we can start going with these things. The war in Israel, and every time there's a war in Israel, are we closer to the end times? And, well, the answer to that question is, yeah, war or not, we're getting closer, and we must know that we're prepared. There's a war in Russia, and then, well, there's the war in our streets, and there's also the war that goes on in our spiritual lives. See, what you think about these events and how you consider these events will depend upon your worldview. Your worldview, are these things just random, and are, are they out of control? Does nobody have their hands upon the lever here? Or are these things orchestrated by God? Orchestrated by God and... Well, moving in a direction that is ordained by the living God who is sovereign over all of our lives. If you want to know what the average American thinks about these things, well, usually you can look at the back of a t-shirt, bumper sticker, license plate frame, or today you can look on Facebook and really see more than you really want to know about what people want to think. Why is this important? Why is what we think important? Because everything starts with a thought. Everything starts with a thought. To have peace that surpasses understanding this day is going to start with a thought. We just saw that last week. The thought, the thought is, I think it needs to be, I need to pray. I need to lift these things up to the Lord. Not that God is going to change these things according to how I think that they need to be changed, but so that I would get on the same page that God is on, that I would see his leading and his direction, and I would find the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of this hardship. Because, yeah, those things in Israel, they can explode. Russia, well, I remember when I was a kid, 
That was the main concern, the communists. And again, they have those sirens that go off and hide underneath the desk because the commies are coming. And Russia, there was somebody in Russia, and it's basically true, and probably still is, had their finger upon the button. And who's got their finger upon the button? What kind of day does that person have whose finger is upon that button? Well, and you can even not even look at it worldwide, just look at it personally. My job, how safe is my job? My family, my kids, me personally, I got a wife who's in the air. No, she didn't get raptured, but she's going to Oklahoma, and she's flying in an airplane. And, well, you think you're safe on our soil, but then I always think, usually think it when I'm on the airplane, but I'm thinking it now that she's on the airplane. Who built that airplane? The lowest bidder. And you have to wonder, what did they leave out in order to get that contract? What's the, my wife was even praying for the pilot this morning. Lord, give him clarity of mind. Lord, may he be sober. And it's unfortunate that we got to pray about things like that. Everything starts with a thought. Your salvation started with a thought, not yours, but it was God's. The founding of this nation started with the thought in the minds of the founding fathers. The existence of this church started with the thought at one time. Matter of fact, you started as a thought. Thought between your parents. I even have one daughter who was an afterthought. Just kind of surprised, but nonetheless, started with a thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4-5 through 5 tell us, though, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of, of, of human strength, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And that's what Paul is so good at here in the book of Philippians, bringing his thoughts into captivity. Because I know if it was me, and I imagine if it was you, we would be sitting in that dungeon and think, okay, so this is where all this has gotten me. All of the persecution and prosecution that I've gone through, here I am. Everything that I have done for the Lord, here I am. But Paul didn't go there. I know Paul's not perfect, and maybe he did, but we don't see that anyway. But Paul's taking his thoughts captive, and he's understanding who's in control. He's realizing the peace of God that surpasses understanding because he has spent his time in prayer. He realizes the frailty of life, and he understands that things can change even at a moment's notice. But he just simply knows, I planted churches, I brought people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and, well, if I can just write letters, then I'll just write letters. But we know that's not just writing letters, because, Paul, we're reading your letter even today. Lord, this letter has been writ- read for the past 2,000 years to strengthen people in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to grow in the confidence, not in ourselves, but who He is, and, Lord, to develop thoughts that would glorify You. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So, you can ask me after service, okay, pastor, what am I to think? Well, I'm not going to tell you what to think. We're not a cult. Even the Bible does not tell us what to think. The Bible tells you how to think. It encourages you to direct your thoughts towards the Lord. The Holy Spirit enters into society through the Word of God, and He meets it where it is at. He then does work, not dictating what to think, it's not legalistic, but teaching how to think. And it's a lifetime. And we go through different situations and circumstances in our lives to, well, to understand how this Christianity thing works, if you will. 
Because, yeah, I, I learned Christianity in that day that I was saved, and there was that emotional time, and there was that time of entering into something new. And then there was a time of learning how Christianity in my life works when trials and tribulations enter in. And then there was the good times and the happy times and how it worked in those areas and in raising kids, being a husband, out in the workplace, and the work of ministry, and all of these different areas, and understanding how Christianity it works into the totality of the fabric of who a person is. And again, that's part of the problem within the body of Christ. People haven't truly entered into the totality of Christ, allowing these words to sink in, just enduring them for an hour every Sunday morning. But really, God wants us to, well, we can preach the word. Come to a knowledge that I'm a sinner. Repent of my sins. Come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and learn these things so that they become real in my life as I go through the situations and circumstances of my life. And I'll be chained to many things as I go through this life. Some things are going to hold me back. Some things I'll be broken free of and being able to move so much to forward. But nonetheless, what I see is is that this faith is real in my life. And if it's not real, then really what use is it? God didn't say get saved and check out until I come back. No, he says get saved and then go to work. Do the work of ministry to the capacity that he has called you and the manner in which he has gifted you to his glory in all things. He did not dictate what to think, but how to think. And it's something that is continuously being worked out in our lives. Paul said earlier in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be of the mindset that you think according to Christ, not thinking highly of yourself, but lowly of yourself. Look at Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband, uh, Jim Elliot, was killed by natives down in South, uh, South America. And what would I think if I was her? I don't know, but it probably wouldn't be good thoughts towards them. But she was letting the mind of Christ rule her thoughts. She went down, and a whole tribe of people were saved because of that ministry. And so Paul is saying here back in verse 8, Finally, brethren, this is the climax of Paul's teaching on spiritual stability in unstable situations. And we can relate to that because, well, for the past five years, our whole economy has been very unstable. Seems like things get better, but they're saying that, well, they're not as better as they seem to be. And then I've read to the end of the book, we're studying it on Wednesday mornings, the men at 6 o'clock here at the church, or 6.30 here at the church, they're not going to get more stable, it's going to get worse. But again, that's what the faith that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ is partially for, to get me into heaven without a doubt, but to keep stability in my life to keep my thoughts planted and rooted before him, that he would use me in a glorious way. And so he's summing up what our mind is to be and how to make the proper mindset be real in my life. Be real in my life as I see things that I just don't understand. But I still know that God's in control. Be real in my life as he see these these definite hardships happening and and understanding that I can't change him, but I serve a living God who's able to. My grandson Noah, he's about seven years old. He was with us all week. He wanted to go to Papa's VBS rather than his church's VBS because Papa's VBS is so much the better, and we got nicer servants and a lot of food, and so he was excited to come here. Um, Anyway, I get home after VBS ended and all we had in the evening, and I get home. It's about 10 o'clock, and he's up because he knows it's time for devotions. 
and giving him devotions and, and, and going through the Word of God. And he knows so much. And he's got so much memorized because we've always given devotions. His parents has, and he goes to church and all of these things. But I also want him to be real in his life. Not just speaking these things at him all the time, but also to see how they integrate into a person's life. Because he's got a, such a lifetime ahead of him. And I want it to be a lifetime of him staying rooted in his relationship with Jesus Christ. So, what do we need to understand? Finally, brethren, some closing thoughts that Paul is giving. Now, Paul's a preacher, so he's not really closing here. He's got another half hour or so. That's usually what it means. When a pastor says, finally, that's code. But he says, you need to understand certain things in these difficult days as you're chained to whatever Roman soldier you're chained to. First thing is to understand, or to understand concerning how we are to think that my thoughts are to be based upon, number one, the truth. They've got to be based upon the truth, not fallacy or somebody's good idea and definitely not feelings. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, and he says at the end, meditate upon these things. So one of the things that I'm to be meditating upon is truth, and it's got to be the truth from God because one of the biggest problems in society today is the recognition of truth based upon feelings or good ideas. Truth developed by feelings is a horrible thing. My feelings should be developed by truth from God. It's an earmark of end times. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4, through 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We live in these times. We teach verse by verse through the word of God, but very few churches do will not endure sound doctrine or truth, but according to their own desires or their own feelings, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They will heap up for themselves teachers. And the idea is you get this teacher and they get everything that he's got, all the entertainment value and all the ideas that he's got, and they throw them on the pile. And they just keep heaping up for themselves, teacher after teacher, movement after movement, idea after idea, never firmly rooted and grounded in the truth. Well, the problem is, if your mind's not grounded upon the truth, when trials and tribulations enter in, all of those funny things, all of those entertaining things are not going to be able to do a thing for you. The idea today is, if a statement, thought, or philosophy offers comfort for the moment, it must be true. Well, a lot of the things that we see in Scripture are hard things. They speak of the trials and tribulations, but that's a good thing because man is born to trouble, we're told in Job, as surely as sparks fly upward. Those difficult days, they enter into all of our lives. Everybody here, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but for the most part, there's going to be a percentage of us that are going to go through some pretty hard things this coming week. Some of you may be expecting those things. Something's been developing. Something may take you completely by surprise. But nonetheless, the only way I'm going to be prepared for that is if I'm rooted and if I'm grounded in the truth of God. And so the church general today may teach that all roads lead to heaven, but they don't. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Self-esteem, Jesus said you must repent because you're a sinner. Works-based salvation, can I do anything greater than Christ going to the cross for me? Those are all untruths that eventually will lead to death. 
Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, I quote it so often, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. There's a lot of really good ideas out there, a lot of things that will foster flowery feelings, but in the end they weren't truth, and they simply lead to death. How do I know that truth is truth? Well, truth that is truly truth will stand the test of time. It will endure in the midst of situations and circumstances. Just as truly as it delivered for the Apostle Paul, it will deliver for you. See, when God looks down upon humanity, if he could just kind of look down at everybody who was ever created, God doesn't look on all of humanity and say, there's Paul, he's one of my favorite." No, I don't think he even really so much sees Paul. He sees us all. He sees us all as his children. He sees us all as those who, well, he has died for and brought into his kingdom. So the same God that provided for Paul and gave Paul that peace that surpasses understanding in the midst of his trial and trouble is the same God that will meet you there. Do you have faith in that? Do you have faith? And I'm not saying just have faith. I'm not saying have faith in having faith. I'm saying have faith in God as he's revealed these things, these truths, through his word. Now, you can say yes and you can say no, but you don't really know until you enter into the time of trouble. And as we see in the beginning of James, it's these things that work maturity into our lives because God gives little bits at a time and he's building us up and he's enabling us to endure through these trials and tribulations of this life. Why? So that Christ will be displayed in you. Because where was Christ truly displayed? Christ was truly displayed upon the cross as he suffered, as he died, as he paid the price for our sin. I can't pay the price for anybody's sin, but Lord, through my trials and through my sufferings, be glorified. Why? Because that's where people are going to see the reality of Christianity. I don't remember what I was reading. It was a blog, I think, of some sort written by a Christian. And, you know, I I usually don't read those things because there's no accountability. And people just go on there and they just say whatever. But I happen to be reading this particular one. And somebody was saying something about the church and the cleansing effect that it has. And somebody went on this ranting and raving about all the evils that have been done by the church and how Christianity and other faiths are the roots of all these wars and all of these things. And it just reminded me of that, well, not all that calls themselves Christians are really Christians. Not all that calls itself the church is really the church. Well, how about you, Pastor Mike? Doesn't that extend to you? Are you really a Christian? Or or is this church really a church? Are you really a pastor? Only if somebody else says that I am. Only if somebody else says that I am. Are we a church? Only if somebody else says that we are. Only if you see Jesus Christ and recognize Jesus Christ here. And even myself as a Christian and you as a Christian, are you really a Christian? Only if we see this playing out in our lives. Because, well, again, so many people call themselves Christians. I've said so many times, I don't even ask anymore. If I'm approaching somebody, if I'm witnessing to somebody, I don't ask them if they're a Christian. 90% of the people would say that they are. I ask them, are you born again? Was there a day in your life that there was a radical change in your life? Based upon not just you wanting there to be a radical change or whatever, but based upon somebody sharing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then the Holy Spirit moved in your life and changed your heart and altered your life. 
Because again, I can look at this timeline of my life and I can see that day, July 22nd, when God entered into my... And that wasn't of this year. Uh, uh, God entered in <laughs> and changed my life. It was in the late 80s. I don't remember what year it was now. But God entered in and changed my life. And I can point to that day. And it wasn't just the day that I raised a hand or walked down an aisle. It was the day that I recognized I was a sinner. And the only thing that could happen in my life was for Jesus Christ to enter in and to change it. And he did. And the reason that that's important, because further on down the road, I need to refer back to that day to remember that I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus. And it's the same thing with our church, and I think any church that is a true church, God works little miracles in that body. I shouldn't say little miracles, because there's really no such thing as a little miracle. But God works miracles in the establishment of a church, so that even myself as a pastor, I can have my faith strengthened, because there's going to be hard times and difficult days, but I could look back and say, you know what, it was by the hand of God that it was established, and it was going to be, or it is going to be, by the hand of God that it is maintained. And you see these things, and God works these things. Now, you've got to have eyes to see. You've got to have a mind to know these things of what God has done in your life. These days that you can refer back to. Now, you may not be able to refer back to your July 22nd. Maybe you don't remember the specific day, but at least the time. To know that God has done something in your life so when the terrible time comes, that you can refer back to that. God saved me for a reason. God saved me for a purpose. The love of God was displayed to me, and I entered into that. Because sooner or later, we're all going to get sick, we're all going to die. Taking it to an extreme, it's just a reality. And maybe some of us will suffer an accident or whatever, or maybe even stronger than that, a loved one will. But that's where Christianity surpasses all under philosophies, and that Christianity meets us at the point of death. Meets us at the point of Jesus' death and meets us at the point of man's death. Gives us that hope that we have. And as we get into God's truth, as I understand God's truth, as I understand that God's truth has stood the test of time, then I will find a peace and I will find a comfort in the midst of that. When discussing the truthfulness of God's word, the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 6, Verse 19, he says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Hope, well remember, faith. Faith is trusting in God for today. Hope is trusting in God for tomorrow. The knowledge that my future is hidden in Christ. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, your hope is in, in God's word is the anchor to your soul. It's what keeps us steadfast during, again, the hard days and the terrible times so that I would know and understand that I am kept by God. And so the Holy Spirit, He guides your mind through truth. Jesus knew that, obviously. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But unfortunately, the unholy spirit will guard your mind, or at least try to steal your mind, rip you off, through lies. Jesus said in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And so there's the truth and then there's everything else that's not a truth. What is something that is not a truth? It's a lie. And you need to see it as such. 
everything that is not of the truth is a lie. There's no gray area. There's no middle ground here. And the devil, devil means deceiver, the deceiver will deceive you when it comes to the truth. But if you are rooted and grounded in the truth, now again, rooted and grounded means to your foundations, to the core of who you are. When those hard times enter in, you'll find peace that surpasses understanding. When the paycheck fails to come in, you'll find peace that surpasses understanding. When sickness enters in, you'll find the peace of God that surpasses understanding. In that well-known passage of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. What happened? What happened? He marked that year. Something very special happened in King Uzziah, I'm sorry, in Isaiah's, in Isaiah's life. And he could look at the timeline of his life. And he can look at his life, and I don't know a whole lot about his early life, but I know about the chapter 1 through chapter 5 of his life. He was a legalist. He was there. King Uzziah, some theologians say that King Uzziah was Isaiah's uncle. And if your uncle's the king, you can pretty much say whatever you want, as long as you don't say anything bad about the king. And so he had carte blanche. He was telling him what dirty, rotten, lousy sinners they were. Repent and get right with God. And that message is true. I mean, they probably needed to hear that without a doubt. But it was in the year that King Uzziah died. It was in the year of that which Isaiah depended upon. And so that tells me he wasn't dependent upon God. But he hadn't seen God. I mean, he had this message, and I think God was using him, but nonetheless, it was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God. I saw God. It was in the year that it seemed like my world was going to fall apart, I was going to lose my job, I was going to lose my ministry, because, well, again, when your king is the uncle, or at least when he has his hand upon your ministry, then you can pretty much do whatever you want. But when that which had came in between me and my relationship with God that clouded my vision of God, when God took him away, I saw God. And you can insert in that in the, in the year that my health went upside down, in the year that I lost a, a relative or a friend or whoever it might be, in the year that I got laid off from my job, I saw God, and he was high and lifted up. And he was seated upon the throne. And why is that so important? Because the throne is the place where God exercises his authority. When those things happen, I saw God and I realized it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who the authority is. It matters that God is seated upon the throne. And I realized that nothing happens, Isaiah would say, apart from from God's will and God's desire, because truly God is sovereign over all the lives of mankind. See, Isaiah would say, I was self-righteous. I thought a lot of myself, but in that year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe, his majesty, filled the place with his glory. And above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's not just about me. And the posts of the door were shaken. Again, it speaks of the holiness and righteousness of God. By the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said... Woe is me. It's not longer, no longer woe is they. 
Now it's, woe is me. I'm undone. He's in the presence of a holy God and he sees himself for who he is. It's a good thing, no doubt, that God is seated upon the throne. And it's a great thing that he got to experience the glory of God, but then he saw himself for who he is. And the posts were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, because I've been judging other people, and I've been proclaiming these things without receiving them into my own heart. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. So all these people he's been condemning, now he's putting himself in the midst of them. I'm no better than they are. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. It was at the point of repentance, the knowledge of his sin and the repentance of his sin, that now God has done a work. Also, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And those immortal words of the prophet, Here I am, send me. Now he's prepared. Why? Because he's got that point on the timeline of his life. That year that King Uzziah died, even as he wrote this, he was still referring back to it. I saw the Lord seated upon the throne. And that's what gave him the confidence. Not about who he was and what he was able to do, but what God has done in his life. It was a truth in his life that tradition tells us he was willing to go and be sawed in two. He was willing to be martyred for his faith. Back to Philippians. I got a little bit off track there. Based upon truth, we should be thinking then noble thoughts. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble. This means whatever things bring honor, whatever things bring honor to God. When thinking about an action, I need to determine, is it something that will bring the Lord honor through myself associating myself with it? It's kind of one of the things that the Lord impressed upon my heart. It wasn't me. It was definitely the Lord impressing upon my heart. Well, okay, he used my wife a lot to impress these things upon my heart, but it was part of the growing process as iron sharpens iron as we were ministering to one another. It was after the time that we got saved. There were certain things that needed to leave my life. If I was truly going to be not a pastor, but just an effective Christian, certain things that needed to enter my life so that I would be able to give honor to God. Now, I don't know the things that God has told you. There's certain things that are black and white in the Scriptures. You can just look at the uh, Ten Commandments. I was going to say Twelve Commandments. I don't know where the other two came from. The Ten Commandments. But there were gray areas that God spoke to me. Now, for one thing, drinking. I didn't think it was a strange thing to have a beer every once in a while. There's not going to be one person in hell because you have drank. It's not a sin that's going to drive you to hell. Matter of fact, just drinking is not a sin. Getting drunk is sin. But God told me no more. God told me to stop. And so it was a personal conviction of mine that that was one of the things that I needed to stop doing. There were certain things that, well, movies that I realized I could no longer see, and just certain areas of my life that as I realized that I was participating in these things, I wasn't bringing honor to God. Again, I'm talking about me here. You need to do what God has called you to do in these gray areas, the black and white things you need to really do. But I, need to consider, I needed to consider those things and certain things that God pulled out of my life. Some of the things I went back and pulled back in and then he ripped them back out and we played tug-of-war for a while, but God always wins that thing. 
of certain things that God just said that they were unhonorable. They were not giving honor to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent or they must be honorable. The first step to being reverent is to think nobly. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, this means to think rightly or to have righteous thoughts. This means to think as God thinks. I'm never going to totally have the mind of God, but as I'm immersed in God's word, it's going to, as I've pointed out before, it's going to guide my thoughts. How does God think? God thinks without prejudice. He thinks without prejudice. It doesn't matter who a person is. It doesn't matter where a person's from. It doesn't matter what their economic or their social background is. God is the Savior of all. In Jeremiah 29, 11, that famous verse, when God entered in and ministered through the prophet Jeremiah as the people were conquered by Babylon, God said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then we studied it, and I just repeated it a little bit earlier, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it to be equal with God, a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Are you able to become obedient to the point of death? And let's not even talk about physical death. Let's just talk about dying to yourself. And then in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? Are you able to do that? It's what God desires of you. It's one of those things that, again, as the Apostle Paul is making this list, he's speaking from the perspective of tribulation. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, and then he goes on, whatever things are pure, this is to think thoughts that are morally clean. Morally clean or holy. To have your mind set towards the Lord and the things of the Lord. See, every time, oh, again, we'll use myself. We'll use my wife as the example. Because she's on the way to Oklahoma. Do we have a picture of her? No, we don't do that. Because there's women in here I know who will rat me out. But every time she has ever sinned, I know it's going to take you by surprise, she's always thought about it first. I'm the same way. You're the same way too. Anytime you sin, you in essence sinned twice. You thought about it. You thought about it, and at some point you decided to go with it. And so I need to make sure that my mind is kept pure. Why all the sexual-based crime in our society today? Well, look what is being constantly pumped out of the TV, out of the Internet, and out of the movies. It's all this over-sexualization of our society. And so we ought not to be surprised when there's so much. Why so much child molestation today? Because the person who spends hours on the internet looking at it is one day going to do it. Whatever you fill your mind and you're with is going to become your passion. And whatever becomes your passion is going to be that which you follow through in it. Now, 
if these things aren't, well, I hope child molestation isn't, but just even sexual-based things, if that's not something that caused you to stumble, plug in whatever causes you to stumble. Whatever it is that you fill your mind with, at some point you're going to act out on. So Paul's saying, meditate on these things which are pure. Uh, pure. Meditate upon these things which are holy, because it's going to be those things which you involve yourself in. Job chapter 31, verse 1, I've made a covenant with my eyes, why then should I look upon a woman? In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, do not, nor share, do not share in other people's sins, but keep yourself pure. If you think pure, that will be manifest in your actions. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2-3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself or lives a holy life just as he, just as Jesus is holy. Then he goes on to say to meditate on those things which are lovely. And I think the best list in this is that well-known verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, when he says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. The sacrificial love, the love that was exemplified by God. And so I am to truly have a love for God's people, especially in the midst of this congregation as we're ministering to one another. And again, as God, as Jesus set the example of true sacrificial love, that's to die to yourself, there's going to be people that I'm not necessarily going to like, that, you know, just are kind of contrary to me. I don't want to go that strongly saying, yeah, don't like them, but just are kind of contrary to me. We need to get over ourselves. We need to get over ourselves. There's going to be people that speak rudely to you. There's going to be people who maybe even gossip about you. There's going to be people who do that which you think is, well, just doesn't sit well with you, you need to get over yourself and you need to have a love for them that you'd see lives change as you would see Christ exemplified. Because again, it's that when you die to yourself that people really see something special. Why don't we just do this? Because number one, we're prideful. Number two, it makes us vulnerable. Well, you know what? If I did that, so-and-so is going to take advantage of me. Or I've even told husband and wives that you need to do this and the husband or wife said, well, you don't understand. If I do that, they're going to take advantage of me. Well, they took advantage of Jesus, and it worked out for the better of all. Died to yourself, live to the glory of God. Meditate, Paul says, think on things of good reports. This is to think well of others, not letting the bad in. This is to not receive what Mary said that Jack told her what she got from Henry. This is to meditate on good things. Don't always be so suspicious of people. You know, I, we give food out pretty much to whoever asks, and somebody was telling me, you know, I'm not sure about this person. They've been here before, and I just got a feeling about this person. Well, if I didn't minister to everybody I had a feeling about, we'd do very little ministry here at the church. Yeah, you know what? It's God's. It's God's. And, and if, they're, if they're stealing or if they're misusing something, they've got to stand before a holy God. Now, if I see something blatant, yeah, I'll deal with it. But nonetheless, I'd rather do something being taken advantage of 
than not doing something and having somebody who truly needed ministry not being ministered to. And so it got to be, well, think on the good reports. Think on the things which are good and right. And then meditate if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy. And again, when that question is asked, and there is, if there's anything virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, seeing the value. This is me when I look at my grandchildren now. I see the value in I put the slideshow together. Some of you may have noticed I put my grandson Henry in there. My grandson Henry, he was here for about a half hour one day. But he's my grandchild. And you all needed to see him. At least I think you do. You probably could care less, but that's okay. He's not your grandchild, he's mine. I got to see him again. Yesterday I was getting ready to come to the church to kind of go through things. It was about 10 o'clock, kind of hung out, spent time with my grandson Noah. My wife goes, oh, I got to run this up to Chelsea's house. She had bought them some milk. I don't know why she bought them milk. They can afford milk, but they don't buy the right milk. It has to be gluten-free, organic, you know, all this stuff. Anyway, so I'll run it up there because I get to see him again. And again, he's just, just, well, whatever things are, are praiseworthy, any virtue, and I see virtue in them. Now, they're not the most perfect people in the world. They're far from it because I know where they came from. But nonetheless, I need to have this towards, towards the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I need to see them as God sees them and understand them as God understands them, to see them as sinners, but also realize that God has bestowed grace upon them. And just as God has brought them into the kingdom of God, Well, he brought them into the kingdom of God the same way he brought me into the kingdom of God. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so Paul says, meditate on these things. And that's the encouragement I'm giving to you. Meditate, think hard. Think hard. Not just when it's being taught right now. Think hard as you go home. Review the studies that are taught in the sections of Scripture. I mean, you only got two verses today. We haven't gotten to the second verse yet. Think hard on the, meditate. How does it fit into your life? Because some of you don't have a grandchild. But how does it fit into the reality of who you are in your life? See, we're all going to go through trials and tribulations. And as I said before, your trial and tribulation isn't necessarily my trial and tribulation. I can come here next Sunday and say, man, you won't believe the trial I went through and tell you and say, what's the big deal about that? Well, your trial and tribulations is going to be a big deal to you. And so you need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for these things because the work of Christ needs to continue on and it's always going to continue on against opposition. And then there's just the the reality of the difficulties of life. Meditate upon these things. Be prepared. Think hard on them. Verse 9, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul can write that because he's going through the hard time, the difficult day. A survey some years ago found out that only 8% of what people worry about comes to pass. That means that 92% of what you worry about never comes to pass. You should be able to relate to that. All the things you've ever worried about, how many of those things occurred to the degree that you thought that they were going to occur? And then you allowed it to bum yourself out, and you allowed it to hold yourself back, and you allowed it to stifle what God wanted to do in your life, and then it passed and you thought, oh, that wasn't so bad. Well, God's in control in the midst of all of these things. Don't allow it to hinder you in your spiritual life. Don't allow it to hinder you in your walk with the Lord. We already know that we're all unworthy, 
but it's the unworthy people that God uses. Just as surely as he caused that difficult day to happen in Isaiah's life, King Uzziah died, and he probably thought his world was falling apart. But it's in the midst of those things that if you truly look, you'll see God. You'll see him seated upon the throne, and you'll see how glorious he is. You'll see also your, your lackings, but you'll also see that God will meet you where you're at, and God will use you in amazing ways. And so... What do you think? What do you think? What's your perspective of all that's going on today? Is God still in control? Is God seated upon the throne? Well, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, he truly is. But see, what I've been talking about all this time for this past 45 minutes is from the perspective of God's children. First, you have to have that day on your timeline of your life. And it's a private time, a private time that can be definitely expressed publicly, but just so much has been put out there as far as what it means to be born again. What does it really mean to be born again? Well, what's the doctrine that Jesus and John the Baptist came preaching? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. There's got to be, as Isaiah did, that acknowledgement that you're a sinner and the sorrowfulness of it. The desire to know, or at least the reality that you know, that you're contrary to God. Paul said when he went into Thessalonica, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And Paul's looking at their salvation experience. How you turn to God from idols. That you had these things that were contrary to God in your life, and what did they do? They didn't just turn to God, they turn to God from the idols. The idea here is there's a repentance here. And so in your life, there's got to be a period of time when you realize that these things were idols into your life or they were contrary to God in your life and you repented of that, that you turned from those things. But they didn't just turn to those things into God. They also served the living God. There was a desire to do God's will in their life. Because we can so easily say that, well, yeah, I turned from that, but going to heaven is not getting their basis on what you don't do. And I did turn to God. I go to church. I, I read my Bible. But is that manifest in your life somehow? If you want a good list on how that is to be manifest, go back to the study that we did today and go through that list there. And then to wait for his son. That doesn't mean go home, sit in the corner, and wait for the coming of Christ. It means that they were active in their wait. It means that they were praying. It means that they were reading, and it means that they were doing. That's true salvation that has entered into the fabric of who a person is. How do I get there? What do I do? You turn to God. You repent. You receive God, and then you do what God has called you to do. It's not a magic formula or anything. It's simple obedience to God. See, if you have a church, the totality of the church that is doing this, then you have a church that is on fire, and then you have revival upon the land. So many times we have Kelly stand in the back and people raise their hands and then Kelly's going to go up and, and do follow-up with them and disciple them and see that they've you know, got what's necessary to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. But the problem with that is Kelly is kind of a big guy and he's kind of old. He, he's not very fast. And people just haul out of here so fast. Haul out of here so fast. And I often wondered, you know, these people that have raised their hand or whatever, Lord, are they really saved? Are they really saved? 
I mean, is there that passion for you? Or did they just do something to say, well, I got that date that I did something, and well, I hope that gets me into heaven. See, Christianity is entering into the totality of all that God has for you. And I'll just leave you with one last question. What do you think? Have you done that? Have you truly done that? If not, you need to do it today. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word that guides us and leads us. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who meets us in the midst of our trials and our tribulations, in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of the difficulty of the day, of all the things that come across the news. And, and we see, Father, these things that are out of our control. But, Lord, that's okay. I pray for whatever we depend upon apart from you that, well, that would be, today would be the day that that thing has died and we would see that you are seated upon the throne, Lord, and that you are high and lifted up. I pray for the born-again believer here, Lord, that you would inspire them, that you would move them in the midst of ministry, that, Father, they would grasp on to your word, grasp on to the things for which you have grasped on to them for, and that, Father, we would see the work of ministry, Lord, just continue to expand through people and their obedience to you. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here unsure of their status with you, unsure if they're saved, or maybe they know that they're flat out not saved, that, Lord, that you would impress upon their heart the necessity to repent of their sins and turn to you. Because if we just repent, we're just sorry sinners. But repent of their sins, turn to you, and get involved in the fabric of the church and the learning of your word and the doing of your word. And again, if there's anybody here, again, this is going to be a little bit different. As eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if there's anybody here that's unsure unsure if you're saved, unsure if you're walking right with the Lord, or, or maybe you know you're not walking right, or maybe you know that you're not saved. Raise your hand, and I just want, you, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray that, that God would, would motivate you to do the things that are necessary in your life so that you would know, that you would know this day. Is there anybody here that needs that prayer? If there is, just raise your hand, and I'm just going to point it out and pray for you. Is there anybody at all? If you're in the overflow, you can raise your hand there. God sees. Anybody at all? Anybody today? It can be a hard thing to do, and it's supposed to be a hard thing to do because you're given of your life. Anybody? Father, all here claim to have that walk with you, and Lord, I just pray the truthfulness of that, and I pray, Father, that that strong walk would be revealed, Lord, through obedience to you. Because again, as Isaiah saw that God was seated upon the throne, that also means that he was seated in the position of authority. And Lord, why would we call you Lord, Lord, and not do the things that you say? And so, Father, enable us in our obedience. Use us in glorious ways. Father, we thank you for this work this past week of Vacation Bible School and all of the people that came here. And I just pray, Father, for the message that went out this week, that you would continue, Lord, to sow those seeds, to water those seeds, and that we would see those seeds sprout. But as for us today, we just thank you for this time together, Lord that you bless us and continue to use us. May we meditate upon the things, Lord, that are so rich of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?